Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This episode contains stories about self-harm and suicidal ideation. Please be advised. When I first started telling folks that I wanted to organize a storytelling event on the Western Slope, a friend and colleague clued me in on a vibrant scene in Grand Junction and neighboring towns like Fruta. That's where I met Caleb, a local poet and employee at Lithic Bookstore and Press. My name's Caleb Fergancic. Been working here at Lithic for, I think, maybe two months now. When Caleb moved to Grand Junction, he quickly connected to the bookstore. He was drawn by the diversity on its shelves and the welcoming atmosphere. Lithic Bookstore is a place full of curiosities. It's surprising because it's uh, from the outside, it's a, you know, I guess it's kind of an office building and you walk up the stairs and it feels like you're walking into an accountant's uh, office and you make a left and there's just beautiful space here. And for Caleb? Yeah, I just kind of fell in love with the place the first time I walked in and it's just a, comfortable place to be and meet cool people. One of my favorite shelves here in the bookstore is titled The Resist Shelf. They're they're books that you wouldn't be able to find in a physical store um, in a rural place like this, I think. Part of the reason Caleb is so drawn to The Resist Shelf is because he's part of a community in rural, small-town Colorado that we rarely hear from. The people that are coming in are just various people from the queer and genderqueer community here um, on the Western Slope. And by nature of it being a small rural town, um, we all have either met or worked together. So in a way, it's kind of like just the chosen family coming together to hear each other tell stories, um, which is really, really cool. It is really, really cool. And that's the community we're going to hear stories from in this episode. This is My Story So Far, the storytelling podcast that brings you voices from the hidden corners of Colorado. I'm your host, Luis Antonio Perez. In this episode, you'll hear two stories about the difficult journey of self-discovery. Our first story comes from Lexi, who shows us how a little support can go a long, long way. My name is Lexi, and I am an asexual, panromantic, transgender woman. Try and say that three times fast. (laughs) I, I knew that I was different from my earliest memories. But since I predate the internet, there was no going and doing a quick Google search. Um, what I did know is that the thoughts and feelings I had were wrong and that if I were to ever express those, I would be beat or worse. Um, It was a very different world growing up as Gen X. You weren't there. I don't think you can understand how different it is. But I knew that this was a secret that I had to carry to my grave. I did pretty good at keeping that secret, but as the years went on, Suppressing my true self became more and more difficult. I stayed as far away from anything 
queer-oriented as I could because I knew if I experienced any of that, I was going to lose myself to it. Four months after my 41st birthday, my entire world was destroyed. I was brutally emotionally broken to the point that I was more than a little suicidal. I pretty much lost everything, and I grabbed a bottle for the first time in 17 years, drunk and hurting more than I ever thought possible. I told someone my secret for the very first time. Too bad they weren't trustworthy. Being outed on top of everything else that I was dealing with was just way too much. I, I needed help. So I hopped online and I found a therapist that specialized in gender issues. If they couldn't help me, I mean, who could? My first several sessions were mainly learning all the stuff I had avoided up till then. She even gave me homework at my age. Um, one of the things that she very strongly recommended was that I start seeing going to a support group called Transcend. And uh, she gave me the brochure and all the information. And she was pretty much insisting, and it would be really stupid of me to ignore the expert. So here we go. Now, at the time, the location was kept secret for safety purposes. Um, so I had to contact one of the leaders, and they gave me the information to get in. It was kind of like an old-time speakeasy where my shrink's name opened the door. <laughs> Finally, and all too soon at the same time, the night of the next support meeting showed up. I had no idea what to expect. Quite frankly, I was terrified. I put on some jeans and a t-shirt, because that was pretty much the only clothes I owned at the time. Pulled my hat down low. I had over an hour drive to sit there and create all of these wildly unrealistic scenarios to stress and freak out over the entire way up there. By the time I pulled up outside, I was a nervous wreck. I had never been to any kind of a support group before, let alone one for transgender people. I wasn't going to know anyone there. And as soon as I walk in the door, everybody's going to know I'm different. I sat in the car for what felt like forever, chain smoking and trying to work up the courage to go in. I probably could have used a couple shots of whiskey, but I knew I had to drive home, and I had no idea how soon that was going to be. But I finally did it. I finally worked up courage, got out of the car, and walked up. And as I did, I could see through the glass door. They had three eight-foot tables pushed together to form one huge table and a whole bunch of people sitting around it. bad part about the glass door is they could see me. And so they came over and opened the door. There, there was no backing out at that point. I walked in with my head down, and I knew everybody had to be staring at me, the stranger in their midst. You know, intellectually, I knew I wasn't the only trans woman out there. But 
that's something that happens in your big cities like uh, San Francisco and New York. That, that doesn't happen around here, right? So imagine my surprise when I walk in to an entire room full of trans people. All ages, sizes. There were even trans men there. Did you know that was a thing? So they start the meeting, and they all go around the table saying their name and pronouns. And I started to panic. All the years of, you know, fantasizing, experimenting, purging, uh, coming up with completely unrealistic scenarios on how I got turned into a woman so that it wasn't my fault. I had never once thought of a name for myself. And I had no time to do it. And I had to get rid of my birth name. So when it came around to me, I blurted the first thing that came to mind, which was the feminine of what would soon become my dead name. I sat quietly, listening as people were talking about their challenges, giving advice. They asked me a few questions, got a little bit out of me, but I was too terrified to really volunteer anything. And luckily, they all seemed to understand that. Finally, I, I needed to ask where the restroom was. Uh, the stress and tension had just done a number on my bladder. And the restroom was down a long hallway and around a couple of corners. It was dark, quiet, and so peaceful. On my way back, one of the leaders met me in that hallway. They knew I wasn't comfortable and thought maybe if they engaged me in a one-on-one -on -one, that it would be easier. We gave kind of a brief exchange of backstories, and I started feeling more at ease, like maybe I do belong here. Right before the group broke up for the night, one of the leaders passed around a piece of paper for everyone, and anyone who wanted could write their name and phone number on it in case I needed support in between meetings. Every single person gave me their number that night. As I walked out to my car, I found I, I was actually looking forward to my next meeting. That the rush of emotions I went through that night was just overwhelming. You can't name an emotion I didn't feel. I wasn't alone. Fear and shame of thinking that I wasn't trans enough, that I was an imposter in their space. Still deal with that occasionally. The despair of knowing that I would never, ever look as good as some of the ladies in that room. And the righteous rage that these people had to stay hidden for their own safety. I felt it all and all at once. Just the thoughts and emotions whirling chaotically bouncing around like pinballs, you know? I spent so much worry and stress, jumped up all kinds of scenarios, all the reasons that I needed to panic about going there. And they made me feel loved and like I belonged. The things that I learned there, along with the people that I met, formed the support and the foundation for me to completely rebuild my life from scratch.
they became my surrogate or chosen family. I had many great times there, met many wonderful people. But as time went on, we all started drifting apart, outgrowing our need for a support group, till eventually there was nobody left who wanted to step up and take leadership. And the group ended. Transcend may be gone, but I will never forget that day. The very first time I walked in, and the love and the support that I received there. Lexi's story reminds me that it can take a lot of courage and effort to seek and find help. But the steps we take toward finding support and community are steps we take towards our own happiness. After a short break, we'll hear a story from Caleb. He was the person who showed us around Lithic Bookstore. His story is about a memorable summer moment around the bonfire filled with joy and discovery. Hi, I'm Emily Williams. I'm one of the producers who work behind the scenes to help bring you my story so far. Our team makes this show because we want listeners to hear these stories. First-person, unfiltered, live storytelling. Coloradans sharing their experiences on stage for the first time ever. And we want to spread the word. So could you help us out? If you know someone who might like this podcast, please take a minute and share it with them. If you know two people, even better. Thanks for listening, sharing, and helping more people discover my story so far. Caleb is known for organizing Slamming Bricks, an annual slam poetry competition in Grand Junction, held during Pride Week. While he has experience performing poetry on stage, this was the first time Caleb shared a personal story on stage a true-life narrative about his experiences. That's true for most of the storytellers on every episode of this show, sharing their truth on stage for the very first time. Caleb's story is about coming of age in the small, sleepy town of Delta, 40 miles from Grand Junction. Let ruin end here. Let him find honey where there was once a slaughter. Let him enter the lion's cage and find a field of lilacs. Let this be the healing. And if not, let it be. A little prayer from Denise Smith. My name is Caleb Perganchik. I use he, they pronouns interchangeably, identify as queer, and I've lived in Grand Junction, Colorado for about 13 years. When I was asked to share a story about my life, I quickly decided that I wanted to share a happy story. I think that there is no doubt that queer representation in mainstream media has exploded in my 30 years of life, but those representational narratives still rely heavily on pain and sadness being the epicenter of queer character identity. For example, some of the most successful movies and shows from 2022 featuring queer and genderqueer characters that I watched, Bones and All, My Policeman, or Euphoria, revolve around closeted characters. 
characters struggling with deep mental health issues, and characters who both perpetuate and are victim of intense physical and sexual violence. To be sure, those narratives are still true of queer and genderqueer people all across America, particularly here in rural America, where houselessness, suicide, and hate crimes are burdens that we carry to a much larger degree. And to be sure, my life has been shaped by those narratives. As someone who grew up in Delta, Colorado, amongst a religious household in a community that subjected me to the gambit of homophobia that I would barely escape at age 16 as a suicide survivor. And while those deeply traumatic narratives have been instrumental in providing fuel for my fire as a queer community organizer, there's so much more to who I am, just like there's so much more to the queer experience. And despite what a pride parade may lead you to believe, it is not always sunshine and rainbows, but there is good here. And I think that there was good then. So tonight, I want to share a story about a different fire. Not a metaphorical fire of righteous rage and indignation that is arguably the reason that I was invited here tonight, but a very real fire that was just as important to my survival and future as a rural queer teen. Delta is a small county seat town on the western slope nestled amongst the Uncompahgre and Gunnison rivers, buttressing against the southern slopes of the Grand Mesa. Once the spiritual epicenter for the indigenous Ute, Delta is now a relatively homogenous community of white, blue-collar Christian Americans. When I was a kid, it was still the kind of place where boys could be let loose in marauding bands with bikes and walkie-talkies to explore unsupervised. Uh, think the Sandlot or Stand By Me. Um, and even teenagers who had scant to do but drive backcountry roads with booze um, purchased from older siblings for a finder's fee uh, got away with a much larger degree of troublemaking. And I think my nostalgia for Delta is complicated at best um, because my queerness, uh, for whatever reason, um, maybe the lisp, uh, was not something uh, that I was able to hide by the time I reached high school. So while my early childhood memories are often fond and full of freedom, my teenage memories are fragmented and likely grossly warped by the kinds of trauma that I've already enumerated. Even today, living only some 40 miles from it, living a very out and proud lifestyle and being engaged in queer community building, visits to Delta can still diminish all of that, stripping me bare and bringing me back to 17, drowning in a need for acceptance and belonging and all of the things that I used to supplement it. It's the summer of 2011, and at this time I had dropped out of Delta High School after my suicide attempt and enrolled in the alternative high school where I was working on graduating a year early to move to Grand Junction. I was a deeply depressed teenager, deeply enmeshed in the kind of trouble that troubled teens are prone to getting into. On those summer nights, trouble often led me to the Delta County gravel pit and the adobe hills cascading off of the Grand Mesa. As I've said, uh, backcountry roads and booze are a staple of teenage freedom in Delta, and desert bonfire parties are a tradition as old as the Del Dorado Fair. It's a tradition that some Delta law enforcement themselves have participated in, um, and so strange lights in the desert were not always suspect enough to warrant investigation. And uh, trouble led me to those adobe hills with my friend Cody, who was on summer break from college. We had met when I was a freshman, and he a senior in the high school theater program. Uh, even then, uh, we were a collision of debauchery, uh, sneaking shooters in the bathroom prior to the production of Alice in Wonderland, um, until we were too drunk to remember our lines. Um, though I will argue um, that the impromptu performance of the Mad Hatter and March Hare during the Mad Tea Party scene is still one of the finest theatrical moments to grace the Delta School District Theater. <laughs> 
Shout out to Mrs. Dysart. Um, we definitely owe you another drink soon. Um, but it became a weekly tradition that summer for Cody and me to host these desert bonfire parties. Uh, we would spend an entire day just patrolling for wood pallets and discarded furniture, rallying our various friends for a raucous rendezvous. And that gravel pit became kind of a hodgepodge of teens and young adults. Um, I describe it as like a very dusty breakfast club. Um, and it was one of the only spaces where I could explore my queerness openly around peers without judgment or fear of violence protected by my allies like my friend Cody. Um, and alcohol in developing teenage minds are obviously not a healthy mix. Uh, so my recollection of those evenings um, are certainly not comprehensive or even linear. Um, but I do remember winding up in my underwear more times than not. <laughs> Evidence of which is strictly guarded on my Facebook account, um, and I'm not sure why because those of you that know me know that old habits die hard <laughs> um, And you can find similar pictures of me on social media from just two weeks ago um, I Remember Cody sacrificing his clothing to the blaze and then waking up and griping in frustration um, about the loss of said clothing and I remember Joshua Joshua is not his actual name, but I think some degree of anonymity is right for this story. And as an atheist still influenced by my Christian upbringing, there's something romantically sacrilegious to me about a queer story of Caleb and Joshua in the desert together. <laughs> um, I met Joshua on Grindr, which is a location-based dating app for gay men. Um, and I know everyone in the audience is like, we know what Grindr is. Um, so. Obviously, you know that being 17, I had lied about my age to access the app. And there are serious risks with dating apps, right? Significantly more so for minors, but in a community that makes living openly queer dangerous, in a school district that suppresses comprehensive sexual education, apps like Grindr become one of the few outlets for exploration for teenagers, however dangerous they may be. Um, but Joshua was every rural gay teen's dream. He lived in the big city of Grand Junction, he was out, proud, and older with more experience. He worked at the mall, um, and he had great pecs, um, like really great pecs. Um, and Glee was really big at the time, which I know is more problematic representation. <laughs> but dang, if I didn't feel like Kurt Hummel finding his Blaine Anderson. Um, and so I had driven up to Grand Junction a couple of times to hang out with him. Uh, walking the mall, going to movies, listening to Lady Gaga in his room, um, and he had decided to drive to Delta to meet my friends at one of these desert parties. And up to that point, uh, most of my experiences with other guys had been secret and solely sexual, uh, frequently followed by no forms of communication until we were drawn back to the fire to start that sad dance all over again. Um, but Joshua changed all of that for me. While my friends danced around the fire to one of Cody's mega mashup pop remixes, I remember sitting on Adobe Hill with him overlooking it all. And I experienced romantic intimacy for the first time on that hill, tenderly tracing each other's bodies with shaking hands, staring up at the stars, talking about our dreams for the future, kissing each other gently with the occasional tooth clang, and awkwardly giggling as we fumbled through our nerves and butterflies. And one thing led to another UV blue shot, um, and soon we were tangled up together on a pull-out couch Cody and I had dragged up to the bonfire one day. And the bonfire party was like still in full swing while we became braver in our exploration of each other's body, and gentle kisses gave um, way to much more passionate lovemaking. Uh, clearly neither of us cared about an audience. Uh, 
and it was standard for bonfire party attendees to pass out in cars and truck beds. And as everyone trickled away, Joshua and I stayed there on that pull-up bed, still kissing and giggling in the afterglow of the fire and our first time, sweating profusely on account of the lingering flames, staring up at the tendrils of smoke mixing into the Milky Way, drifting off into those early morning hours. I don't know um, where Joshua is today. I'm ashamed to admit uh, that I went, ran away from that relationship very soon after. I think not yet ready to accept that I could be desired in that way and certainly not willing to be vulnerable in the way that relationships require. But I do think about Joshua and that night with him next to the fire often. And I'm immensely thankful to him for being a beacon of good in an otherwise turbulent and dark time. My very brief time with him is part of the mosaic of relationships that allowed me to survive as a queer teen in rural Colorado. Proof that even if someone hasn't figured out how to love themselves, the love of others can still carry them along. I think too that it was an elementary moment of queer resistance for me. Delta Colorado may not be known as a safe and affirming community for queer people, but somehow I was still able to carve out that space for myself and be publicly queer in front of God and everyone with a great guy with really great pecs. And <laughs> I remind myself that I'm not alone in memories like this one and that rural queer and genderqueer teens everywhere are finding space for connection and love however they can. And it's through that lens that I'm able to give myself grace and to think of my adolescent self not as a troubled and depressed teen or a suicide statistic, but if only briefly, as happy. Thank you, Lexi and Caleb, for sharing your stories. And thank you to everyone who shared their personal stories with us that night. We'd like to say thank you to Danny Rosen and Lithic Bookstore for hosting our event. Thank you also to CPR News' Western Slope reporter, Stina Sieg, for helping us connect with storytellers. Next time on My Story So Far, we'll bring you more stories from this community. It'll also be our final episode of the season. We plan to continue collecting stories across Colorado. If you or your community have stories to share, let us know. Find us at cpr.org slash community audio. This show was produced by me and Emily Williams. Our editor is Joe Erickson. You can find a list of everyone who works on this show in the show notes. This has been My Story So Far, a storytelling podcast from Colorado Public Radio. Hi, my name's Emily Williams. I'm a producer on My Story So Far and part of a big team that helps make the podcast. A lot of the stories you hear in this show are people sharing their experiences on stage for the first time ever. If you want more people to hear this unique podcast built around first-person stories from communities around Colorado, you can help us out right now. Please rate the show on your favorite podcast app or write a review. It helps other people discover my story so far. Thanks for listening and supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio.